0: Now the problem with that is if these two never interact, then Jesus Christ could not be virgin-born. Jesus Christ could not be the Son of God come in flesh because these two never act. So it became a heresy that that had to get defeated. The other thing is the implications of that. So what happened was people started uh, being attracted to this Gnostic thing because some people started living at this high spiritual plane and felt that they were better than everybody else. The other group said, well, if, if, if spirit is good and matter is evil and they never connect and they never interact, then it doesn't matter what I do on this physical world. So I can live for myself. I can do whatever. I can be a hedonist. I, can, I, I don't have to worry about the spiritual. They're not connected and they never will be. So I can say that I'm spiritual, but I can live this way. And so John writes this book. So a lot of times you see in this book, if you say this, then... This, is, this has to be true. So John constantly deals with this book about if, if you say this about that world and you're doing this in this world, then you're wrong. So there's a lot of this contrasting back and forth that way. Uh, we've talked about it. In, in the beginning of the book, he deals with what we, what's called fellowship, and he really that's the theme that runs throughout this book, is the idea of to have fellowship with God, and here's 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 the crux of what he's going to say in 1 John. To have fellowship with God, this should be true in the material, earthly world that you live in. So if you say this, then you better be doing this. And if you're doing this, and you're saying that, then they don't mix. And so he continually deals with that. We talked about last week he dealt with the idea of walking in the light, the idea of being in the light. And, and simply the idea is that as God reveals stuff to me, I... I respond. And he's going to take that a little bit further today. So, with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at about five verses. Here it is. I'm just going to leave them up there the whole time. Uh, Again, we come into this if then. So, this is a bad news, good news thing. All right? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take it verse by verse. I'm not even going to try to read the whole thing at first. It's up there. You can read it. We will. But he says, If we claim we have no sin, We are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. So let's just deal with that one right there. He first starts out by saying this. If we claim that we have no sin, notice this. The word sin is singular. Okay? So he's saying, if if I claim that I live at this higher plane and that I don't sin, notice what he says. I'm deceiving who? Me. And that's important because he distinguishes in this passage between deceiving myself and deceiving others and sometimes deceiving both. Here he says, look, if I say that I have no sin, I, I'm just fooling myself, and I'm not living in the truth. So, he, he, now, I, you know, again, if you're married, you, you, you don't have a problem with this, because your spouse points out your sin all the time. <laughs> it, but, if, it, you know, I mean, you know, most of us are smart enough to not stand up and go, I don't sin, Okay. But you need to understand there are religions. There are there are people out there that teach that you can reach that level, that you can reach that sinless perfection level. Um, but I think you're going to see even the text says that even the text teaches that that's that's not the way it works. But the idea is that you can live at that level. So, by the way, some of the Eastern religions teach this: that if you do enough things, you can reach this nirvana. This Spiritual plateau. At we, Rich, Think of some of the monk kind of living, where the earthly material world has no impact on you. So you know this isn't that far out. But what he's saying is, again, people who are saying I can live at that level and and have nothing to do with this, and and, and you you admire me because I'm I'm so good. Well, that, the, you call that pride and that sin. So you've already lost. But he says, look, if we say that we have no sin, he said we're only fooling ourselves. He said, you're, you're kidding yourself. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that he addresses is that concept, which, again, I don't think a lot of us struggle with. But he goes on to say this. <clears throat> and here's what's going to get interesting this morning. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. A verse many of you are familiar Notice what's changed. It's now plural. If we confess our sins... So, here's one of the things that, that, that okay, well, let me throw out a question for you. Because this is where it gets fun. What if you don't confess your sin? Okay, this is what helps you. This, this is what you've got to understand. What's the book of 1 John about? Relationship or fellowship? Fellowship—it's about fellowship. Remember, he spent all the first part of the thing talking about fellowship, fellowship being in the light, fellowship, fellowship with joy. Da, 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 da. So it's about fellowship. So if I don't confess my sins, it's going to affect what my fellowship. All right, and, th- and that's important for us to grasp. Notice what he says. He says, "If we confess our sins, now by the way, confess. Anybody know what it means?" Huh? Kind of? Really close? It's from a word, here's what it means, to say the same thing. So in other words, to confess my sin is to say the same thing about what I'm doing that God says. So if God says, this is wrong, confession means I say, okay God, I realize this is wrong and I realize that I shouldn't do it. I realize, God, that now I am confessing, I am agreeing with God that what I am doing is wrong. And confession involves, in, in a Bible, it always deals with confession and repentance. They're linked together. Repentance is simply going the other direction. So it's a simply a thing of, okay, God, I realize that what I'm doing is wrong. I realize that you say it's wrong. And God, I need to change. So I need you to help me to change and to go this way. It, it, it involves that. Okay? So here he says, if we confess our sins, right? Now, let me give you a little help. Because. Uh, The Bible was written. The Bible is written. The New Testament is written in Greek. We don't know Greek. So, this is where, when we can look at the Greek language, it helps us. In the Greek language, words are put in tenses. All right? You know, in English, we have past, present, and future tense. All right? And we have kind of the same thing in Greek. Here's what's interesting the word confess is the idea of present. Okay? It's the idea of continuous present action, so as I go through my day, as I go through my life, as I go through this week, if I confess my sins, it's something I'm doing actively, presently, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, here's what's interesting, forgive, forgive, that word is in the past, so we need to understand that, we need to understand a little bit of this context, let me help you here, okay? When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ forgives our sin, correct? Past, present, or future sin? All of it, right. Now, some of you wrestle with this, but let me, let me, help, you, let me help you physically. Okay, I was born here. We won't talk about the year, but I was born here, okay? When I, was, when I was about 16, 17, I put my faith and trust in Christ. So let's let this represent me at 16. And this represents me now. Over here. Let's let the chair represent me now. Okay. now here's a question. That's my life. Birth, salvation, fut- uh, present. Let's put it on a timeline. Where's the cross? The cross is 2,000 years back here. So here's what you need to understand. When Jesus dies on the cross for my sin, everything is future. This part of my life is future, 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 and this part of my life is future. So when He forgives my sin back here, He forgives it all. Past, present, and future is determined by where I stand on this timeline, not in relationship to the cross. And that's important to understand. So what John is saying is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, he forgave us our sins. It's not about relationship. Again, this is a book written to believers. It's about fellowship. It's the fact that I am reminded of the fact that he forgave my sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is what he says. A great story that helps you understand this is John chapter 13. Okay? In John chapter 13, very familiar story. You'll know it as soon as I start talking about it. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Remember the story? He's washing the disciples' feet. He's getting down, he's washing their feet. And he comes to Peter, and he starts to wash his feet. And Peter goes, oh, no, 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 no. You are not washing my feet. You're Jesus. Remember it? And what does Peter say? Or, or what does Jesus say? If I was not feet, I yeah, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you've got nothing to do with me. And then what does Peter say? Let's take a bath, baby. I'm all in. <laughs> I am ready to go, man. I am ready to go. Do the whole, and what does she say? Jesus, no, 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 Peter. You don't get it, Peter. You, if you're clean, if you've been cleansed, you don't need another bath. Let me put it in our, our terminology, Peter. If you have been saved, I don't need you. Don't need a bath. This is about fellowship, Peter. Your feet are dirty. Not your body. Your body's been cleansed. Your feet are dirty. I need to wash your feet. That was a day. Feet washing, foot washing was kind of a daily thing. Bathing in that culture was not a daily thing. It's not like today where you just turn on a faucet and you got a shower or bath, whatever. So what Jesus is saying is to Peter is he's saying, no, no, no you have. This is about fellowship with me, Peter. If, if, let me wash your feet. As a symbolic thing of the fact that I'm here to serve and to give my life for you. You've already been cleansed, Peter. You've already put your faith and trust in me. I don't don't need that again. This is about fellowship. And this is what John's saying. He's saying, if we confess our sins, okay, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It, It reminds me of this, and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then notice what he goes on to say in the next verse. He says this. He says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. And we're showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. Now, now he jumps to this idea and he says, and if we say that we have not sinned, okay, now, we don't do that, do we? Yes, we do. We do it all the time. Here's what we do in our culture. We rename it. We don't want to call it gossiping we call it, let me share something with you that's heavy on my heart. (laughs) Can I share a prayer request with you? And I, I don't want you to share it with anybody else. That's what we do. We don't call it gossip. We don't want to say that we're sinning and gossiping, but we can share a prayer request. We don't call it anger or losing our temper. We call it well, I had a right to get angry. I had a right to get mad. They deserved it. We don't call it gluttony. We call it an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> Am I getting You see where I'm coming from this? You know, we, we don't call it an adultery. We call it an affair. That sounds so much nicer. You, you see where I'm coming with this? No, and this is what John's saying. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you say that you have not sinned, if you want to call it something else, you make God a liar, because God says it is sin. And don't tell me you're going to have fellowship and walk in the truth if you're going to rename everything, if you're going to excuse everything, if you're going to blow off your behavior by giving it another name that sounds better. John says, no. If you claim that you have, if you claim that you have not sinned, you're calling God a liar. You're showing there's no place in your heart. Again, he's connecting these two worlds constantly. You want to say that you have fellowship? Fine. And when God reveals stuff to your life, don't rename it. You, you, you confess it. You deal with it. You repent from it. You change and you move on. That's what you do. If you're going to be in fellowship, that's what a person in fellowship does. Does this make sense? Now, that's the bad news part of it. Now comes the good news part of it. And, and I hope, I'm praying that you embrace this thing and get it this morning. I really am. Because some of you really struggle here, and I'm hoping you can understand what John is trying to say. Here's what he goes on to say. <clears throat> my dear children, it's, it's a term of endearment. So again, we're dealing with Christians. This isn't about a relationship. This isn't about salvation. This is about fellowship. And it's a term of endearment that John uses. You'll see him use it. He uses it like six times, this idea of my dear children. It has that, that, that family kind of atmosphere with it. Here's what he says. He says, my dear children... I am writing to you so that you don't sin. He said, "My goal, my purpose, my, my 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 desire for you is that you don't sin." And people look at this and go, "See? We shouldn't sin. We should be able to get to that sinless perfection thing." This is again where the language is going to help us. But if anyone does sin now, okay? I'm going to okay, let me let me read this to you so you sound really imp- so I sound impressive and then I'll tell you what it means, because I had to look it up too. If anyone sins, in the original language, is aorist, subjunctive, third-class conditional phrase. Ha! That ought to help you. Here's what it means. We would say it in English this way. If anyone sins, and you can bet it's going to happen. He says it in such a way to say, look, if anyone sins, then look, you're going to sin. That's what John's saying. He's saying, look, my desire is that you don't go down that path, but you're going to, okay? We just know human nature enough and that we, sin is going to be something real. Because, again, he's arguing this whole thing. If you say that you, have, that you have no sin, you're a liar. If you say that you have not sinned, you're making God a liar. He says, look, it, he said, I'm writing so you don't do it. But if you do it, and I know you will, here's what he said. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He goes into a courtroom setting now with a judge, God, and us. Us standing before God is the imagery here. He says, you need to know that what you have is an advocate. Some some translations call it counselor. Um, It's an advocate. In this case, it's one one who pleads uh, where is it? Um, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He says, "You have an advocate standing there, pleading your case before God." And then it gets richer. And notice what he goes on to say. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, who has never sinned. And he goes on. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That word right there, sacrifice that atones, that concept, only used three times in the New Testament. Um, It is a very, very significant term. Some some versions read atonement. Some versions read uh, propitiation. Um, Here's the concept. Again, when we go into the original language, it helps us here because... Okay, your Bible's written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was originally written, okay? Old Testament's Hebrew, a couple passages Aramaic, and then New Testament's Greek. So when we get to the first century, um, Greek-speaking people who don't know Hebrew have to have a Bible. So there was a Greek version of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. So that's a Greek version of the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, we find this word. And it's found in the book of Exodus... And it's in relationship to the Ark of the Covenant as the mercy seat. So it goes back to Exodus, and here's the concept. If you remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament, there's an Ark, right? There's an Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark? Anybody remember? Aaron's rod, manna, and the Ten Commandments, the law. So you have the law, if you will, and the, ten, and, and the focus, and the ark. What was over top of the ark? There was a covering. There was a top. Anybody know what we call it? It was called a mercy seat. There was two cherubim, you know, with their ar- wing things all stuck out and all of that kind of thing. That covered the, the contents of the ark. And then there was the Shekinah glory representing God. So in the ark, here's what you have. you got, you got the ark. You got the mercy seat. That's our word. That's our word, mercy seat. And then you have God. The mercy seat stood between God and the law. And you remember what the priest had to do when he made the sacrifice. The high priest once a year, he would make the sacrifice. He would come in and he would sprinkle the blood where on the mercy seat. He'd sprinkle on a mercy. Why? Because that meant. When God accepted their sacrifice, when God accepted their offering, it meant that, and it was all accepted because of the blood that was put on the mercy seat. Because they had been obedient to God and faithful and asked for forgiveness, and the blood applied to mercy, then God said, fine, your sins are temporarily forgiven until Christ comes. But that's a whole other message. But the idea was, it was the blood on the mercy seat that was acceptable to God, And that's what had to happen. And notice what the passage says. He himself is the sacrifice that atones, the blood that was put on the mercy seat, for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He says, look, you need to understand what's happened when you put your faith and trust in Christ. He said, at that moment, Jesus Christ becomes your advocate. Jesus Christ becomes your go-between, between between you and God. You don't need a priest. You don't need anybody else. It's Jesus Christ. You come to the Father through the Son. That's it. Nobody else. And he said, Jesus Christ is your advocate. He was the sacrifice, that means God accepted him, and he's the advocate on your behalf. So now follow this, and, and, and this is what will help you, I think. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, who pleads on your behalf before God for your sin? Who? Jesus, okay? What's Satan's job? Satan's an accuser of the brethren. So here's what Satan does. Satan stands over here and yells. You call yourself Christian? How can you do that? What? You lost your temper? No Christian would ever lose their temper. I can't believe you said that. Christians don't speak like that. That's Satan's job, 24-7. He's really good at it. That's his job. Boom, 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 boom. You standing here, get what? Discouraged, thinking you ought to do better, wishing that, wow, I wish I could do this. I can't get over this. I I just keep, keep, kind of keep struggling. And you start listening to who? But what does this text say? When I deal with my sin, okay, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. It wasn't right, Lord. I need to please you. In the way I handle my, my, my tongue, so God help me. My focus now becomes who? My advocate. But if you're going to spend the day listening to him, you're never going to go forward in fellowship. Because fellowship is about focusing on the advocate, not the accuser. And some of you really struggle in your life because you're listening too much to that instead of focusing over here. Because see when you focus over here, you know what happens? Let me keep playing it out physically for you. When you're focusing on Jesus Christ who's pleading on your behalf before God just simply steps in and goes, We got a problem here, boys. He's my advocate. He's my go between. But when I don't focus on what he has done on the cross and forgiven my sins, past, present, future, confess it, deal with it, stay in fellowship with him, then I start listening to this. And then I wonder why I get defeated as a Christian. Because I'm listening to him instead of my advocate before the Father. And it those in this passage at the end, and I just want to jump on this just for a second. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This gets people messed up. Because people go, okay, see, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, so everybody's going to heaven. No, you've got to be careful here. Okay? Um, You've got to be careful here. Here's here's a phrase. I'm going to say it. I'm going to explain it. Once I explain it, it'll make sense. Universal in provision does not mean universal in application. Let me say it again. Universal in provision does not mean universal in application. Let me explain it. Let's say, for instance, I look at everybody today and say, hey, you know what, look, um, all the the electricity went out. We've got no potluck, so here's what I'm going to do. After church, um, I'm going to pay for everybody that wants to go out and eat. We'll go to Eldon's, and I'll foot the bill. (laughs) I got people back there throwing breakers right now. No, um, (laughs) I couldn't afford it. But let's say that's what I did. I got a nice brunch on Sunday afternoon, so you know what? Um, um, I am making provision... To pay the bill. Now, when I go to Eldon's, what are they going to do? Are they going to look at me and go, Hey, look, you had like 120 people in church today, so it's 120 meals times? No. They're going to look at me and go, Hey, we had uh, 75 people come through, so it's 75 times whatever. Why? Because just because I provided it to everybody in provision did not make it accept. Everybody didn't participate in it. But the money was there. It's not. But the money was there to cover it all. Okay? <laughs> My wife would freak out at this point. Um, but, no, the money's not there. But what I'm saying is I made provision to pay for everybody. That doesn't mean the bill, that doesn't mean that I'm going to have to foot out, fork out that much for the bill. Why? Because there's only certain people. Some of you already have plans. Some of you have this. Some of you have that. You didn't partake of it. And so if you show up at Eldon's tomorrow night and go, hey, the pastor said he was footing the bill. <laughs> I don't think so. No, that's a one time only deal right after church today. Salvation's the same way. Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. He made provision to cover everybody's sin. But it only applies to people who partake of it on this side of the grave. It's not like you can get to heaven or you, you can sta- be standing before God as a judge, and God says, okay, let me, you know, we're going to deal with your sin before me now. And you go, hey, you know what, that whole Christian thing, like I didn't accept it back then, but I want another shot. How about paying for it now? No go. See, this is the beauty of the Christian life. When I accept and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what that means is I have an advocate between me and God. So when I stand before God, Jesus Christ is between us. Just like in a mercy seat, the blood was on the mercy seat between God and the, old, and the law, the requirements of the law. And Jesus Christ is the same way as my advocate. He stands between me. If you don't accept Christ, you have no advocate. So that means you stand before God with nothing between you and God, only standing there in your sin. And at that point, God is of pure eyes who behold sin, and he will say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Because the idea of a heaven with people who just got there because they were good or because there was a universal provision is not heaven. That's called earth. Heaven is a group of people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have that in common. And Jesus Christ is the advocate on the behalf of everyone who is in heaven. He's our advocate. He's our go-between. He's the one who is is that atoning sacrifice, that mercy seat, if you will, between me and God. So John here addresses this, and he's saying, look, these two worlds are not completely separate. These two worlds are intricately connected. And if you're going to say that you have fellowship, you know, then you confess your sin, you deal with your sin, you walk in fellowship. and, And you cleanse your life on a daily basis. It's like, in that culture, you'd wash your feet every day. But you wouldn't take a bath every day. And for those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ, as Jesus said to Peter, you've been cleansed. You don't need another bath. You just need your feet washed. And so, one one of the things that's essential for us as Christians is to walk in such a way that when God reveals stuff to us, we deal with it. We don't rename it. We don't blow it off. We don't say, "Well, you don't understand." If we've treated somebody wrong, we make it right. If we've lied, we go back and tell the truth. We make it right. If we gossip about somebody, we go we, we shut up and we confess it before God and if we need to deal with the person, we deal with the person and then we change our ways. We walk in fellowship. We confess our sins so that we have that fellowship. And this week, when Satan comes hammering at you for your past, instead of focusing on what he's saying and what he's trying to do and how he's trying to get you sidetracked and allowing him to accuse you, turn around, look at the advocate and say, Hey, Jesus, will you step in here for a second? See, I can remember when I put my faith and trust in Christ and Jesus dealt with my sin and I've confessed it and I've dealt with it and it's about me and God. It's not about me and you. You and I don't have a relationship and I really don't care to have one with you. But God, if you show me some things I need to change then I'm going to change them. It's not about my past. It's about where I'm going. It's about how I'm living my life daily in that that cleansing kind of thing. So that's my challenge to you this week. Deal with your sins. And if you say, I have no sin. You know? I mean, really. Come on, we've all got things that we need to change. And John says, look, I'm going to tell you how to walk in fellowship. And I'm going to help you to keep going and doing what you need to do. And you need to understand, you've got an advocate between you and God. You don't let Satan win that battle. And for some of you who are beating yourself up over your past, i'd I'd love to just shake you silly because honestly you've got an advocate standing there pleading on your behalf and you're listening to stupid old satan and you let him win and you become ineffective for god because you lose your passion you lose your drive you lose your ability for god to to use you and he wins and Jesus Christ the whole time standing right there going, look, man, it's a done deal. It's past. It's over. I've forgiven it. It's gone. I've moved on. Will you please move on? Look at me. Stop listening to him. <laughs> and let God use you this week because that's what he wants to do. So my challenge, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, Jesus Christ is either going to be your advocate or you're going to stand before God on your own. And i got news for you. There's no way in the world I want to take my chances with that. Those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ, you've got issues you need to deal with, confess your sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive them. He's, he's, he's your advocate. He wants that fellowship. Follow Him. Listen to Him. Do what He wants you to do. And don't let Satan win this week. Don't let Satan win this week. So my prayer is very simply this. In order to genuinely walk with God, we've got to be honest about our sin and the things that are hindering our growth. Christ stands on our behalf, doing everything to give us a real, genuine fellowship with the Father. May we confess and deal with the things that are hurting that fellowship. And let's not let Satan get the victory this week.